Welcome to King's Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about King's Church, visit kcnyc.org. All right, welcome to King's Church. Good to have you guys here. Um, We are here for the time being while our, our church, we've been negotiating for a very special space downtown. We're kind of a downtown church. This is still technically downtown. We're below 14th, right? I mean, we're still downtown. But I had a great call with uh, Eric Trump this week, and um, we're negotiating on a space downtown. It's going very well, and I'll, I'll announce more about that in the coming weeks after we put ink to paper. But God is really opening some really cool doors for us as a church. I mean, Part of the thing about King's Church, part of the vision Bethany and I had from the beginning was that we would have influence with world leaders and we would have influence with those in the gutter, that we would minister to people on the very top and the very highest, and we would minister to the most broken and the most lost and the most needy. And another thing that we have on the docket, and I haven't really talked publicly about it much, is a potential King's Church campus in a women's prison here in New York State. And so, man, I would like... Because if you're going to have a church in the Trump building, you also have to have a church in the prison because you may be ministering to some of them. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Come on. It's funny. It's good. It's true, actually. (laughs) Revelation 1.6 says that Jesus Christ has made us kings and priests unto God and our Father. And so that's our plan. You know, that's our plan. Like, God, you can have my whole life. Take my whole life and make me something. Like, turn me into something. I don't want to just have a belief. I don't, want to, I don't need just another vitamin C pill. I don't need another multivitamin for my life. I can, you know, I can get, work out great. I need to be transformed. I need my heart to be changed. I need to be gone from death to living. I want to go from not knowing to God to walking with God. This is not a supplement for my life. This is transformational. And that's why we can use language like kings, because we're not talking about something that we do in our own power. We're talking about the transformation of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. And he does does beautiful things in our life. So let's jump into the scripture. I want to kind of warn you just a little bit this morning. I'm going to do a little bit of technical, nuanced theology uh, as related to Israel, Palestine, Gaza, war, those kind of things. And so just bear with me if if it's your first time, you know, prepare to be offended. Um, (laughs) If you're an irregular, you're you're already, your heart is already calloused. So, (laughs) but we've been sufficiently offended. So here's the context. The context is we're in the prescript, is what theologians call this portion of Galatians 1, 1 through 5, the prescript to the book of Galatians. And Paul's going to introduce himself, and then he's going to, pour into an argument, and this argument is a very, very, very important argument, and the argument is that there's one fundamental axiom to this salvation thing, and it's not works, it's not what you do, it's not what you look like, it's not where you come from, it's not whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised, it's not whether you follow Judaic law or not, it's whether or not you're found in Christ, your faith hangs on the man who hung on the tree. And that is the great equalizer. And it brings us into this new nation, a people of God, the new Israel, what Galatians 6 says to us. And so Paul is setting up, just in the prescript, it's pretty phenomenal. The more I study scripture, the more 
absolutely brilliant it becomes because it's inspired by the Spirit of God. It's not just the words of man, but it's God using mankind to declare his message. And you'll see right here, even in this first phrasing, that there's a setup for the argumentation that Paul's message, his position, is superior to those who have another story. That say, look, you know, uh, really to really go to heaven, you have to, you can, it's Jesus plus other things. Uh, you know, I love my Catholic brothers and sisters, but one of the things I hate the most is that they say it's Jesus plus the Catholic Church or else you're not going to heaven. And if you don't know, that's their official position. It's Jesus plus the Catholic Church. So a friend of mine was posting last week and he said, you know, all Jews and Palestinians need to bow their knee to the church and find salvation in the church. And I just thought, yeah, not really. No, not exactly. In Jesus, yes, who will then lead you to a church? Absolutely, right? Salvation is found in Jesus, and the church is his body that's on the earth. Salvation comes from him as the head, not us as the feet. Amen? So let's jump right into this. Are we ready? Verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And, and Paul is right away just saying, I'm talking death, life, resurrection, world being turned upside down level stuff here. We're not talking about like wrestling over your theology, whose theology is better. This is about Jesus Christ who was raised from the dead, establishing his divinity as God. Do you know why Christians were murdered in the first century? Not because they had a different theological perspective. Because they said, Jesus is God. And he came and said that, and he rose from the dead. That's why they were murdered. And Paul's running right, right as, as the gate opens, first, right out of the gate. He's running with the full, full um, flaming barrels. Paul, an apostle. A note about Paul before I jump into this apostle thing, because I grew up with this understanding, and I, don't, I just think it was because of uh, the osmosis of the Christian world I grew up in, was that Paul, his name was first Saul, and then it was transformed to Paul. That's not correct. Uh, I thought maybe on the road to Damascus, maybe Jesus had something, and I forgot. At the end, it said Saul to Paul. I, 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 just, I just thought that, and I've actually heard, <laughs> I've heard full sermons about Saul's name being transformed to Paul. It's not actually in the Bible. Saul is his Hebrew name. Paul is the Latin name. And Paul chooses to be called Paul because he is the apostle to the Gentiles. But there is nowhere that he has a name change in the Scripture. That's not any story. Every theologian says basically this. Paul is wearing the identity Saul, Hebrew, Paul, Gentile name, to communicate to assimilate with, to become one with the Gentile people, to say, this promise that was initially given to Israel is given to all of you now. And that's what his name change has to do with. There's not a story like, you know, Jacob to Israel. That doesn't exist. Okay, makes sense? Is that good? How many of you didn't know that? Because I didn't really know that until this week. I didn't really pay attention to that. I was like, it just was back there. Now we know. Fun. If you're on uh, Bible Jeopardy one day, <laughs> you have the right answer. Okay, so Paul, an apostle, that's the next phrase here. 
Paul, an apostle. This is a Greek word, apostolos. It means sent one, one who is sent. And, and so in one sense, it means a person that's sent by God, uh, by Jesus in this case, to do certain things. But it's not just like I send my boy to go get me milk at CVS. There's more authority integrated into the moniker, the name apostle, than just one that goes on behalf. It's actually one that represents the personhood who sent him. So this week I was out of town and Sincere preached for, for us last... How good was Sincere last week, by the way? Yeah? Some people look angry when I ask that question, so not everybody, but mostly it sounded like. Um, sincere also, because I was... I, if you don't know all that, I'm a lawyer. I was suing someone last week, and I had to d deliver the complaint to whatever the party is, and I asked Sincere to deliver the complaint on my behalf to the party. So in New York State, when you file a lawsuit or you draft a lawsuit, there's the complaint. This is kind of what happened. And there's the summons, and that's the court order that says if you don't show up, the court's going to spank you. And then there is this other electronic notice of filing, and you have to bring those to the party. But when that group of papers goes to the entity, it's like I'm there. And it's not only like I'm there, it's like the entire power of the court behind me is there. And if you don't respond to it, then you get a default judgment and we win. And then the sheriff, literally, the sheriff can come to your house or go, your bank account and draw all of the money out of your bank account. Because the authority of the court is in that position. The full authority. It's not just somebody being sent like, go get milk. And this is integrated in this term, apostle that the authority of the kingdom of heaven is with the sent one. So what are they doing? What are they sent for? Are they just going to hang out? No. They're really going to build. They're going to wage war and they're going to build. They're going as a strategist, a builder, um, really high-level strategy for the impact and increase of the kingdom of heaven. A great Old Testament picture of an apostle is Moses. He's the leader of the people. He's got strategy from God. He's leading the people into the promised land so that their land can be established, etc., etc. The greatest New Testament picture of an apostle is not Paul, and it's not Peter, it's not James or John or any of the other 12. The greatest New Testament picture is Jesus himself. Hebrews 3.1. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling... Partakers of the heavenly calling. That's just incredible. Uh, the next phrase, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the primary apostle of the saints. The primary sent one to establish the kingdom of God, the domain of God, the primary strategist that plays out the plan of God. It continues, he was faithful to the one who appointed him just as Moses was faithful in God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, as the builder has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Jesus, in his apostolic um, office, 
is the strategist and builder of the house that's being built as a house for God, as a dwelling place for the Spirit, as something that glorifies God on the earth, that's expanding of the increase of his kingdom and governance. There will be no end, that there's continual expansion of the kingdom of God. We, our church, is an apostolic church. We're not a church that's shrinking or hiding. We're pushing forward the kingdom of God in our workplaces, in our relationships, in the subway of New York City, in all of these places, we are a strategic, which means apostolic church that's intentionally strategizing with heaven. God, we want your kingdom to move forward. There are kind of two different options. One of them is called the Benedict Option. Uh, have you heard of the Benedict Option before? Yeah, it was a famous book by Rod Dreyer about the Benedictine monks. Basically, they say this. Christianity is growing in the first, second, third century, but there's a lot of um, chaos in Rome. And so the Benedictine monks at some point say, look, it's too dark. We, we're not, we don't really have much effect here. We're moving out, Desert Fathers. We're starting our own monasteries. We're just going to hang out with the Lord and focus on him. And that's, that's one option. Uh, the other option is called the Boniface option. And Boniface was uh, a saint. And the barbarian Goths, Visigoths, were sacking Rome, lighting the libraries on fire, burning it to the ground. And Boniface said, nah, it's not too late. I'm going to the headquarters of where the bad guys are that are killing everyone, and I'm going to preach the gospel there. So Boniface goes to um, this Germanic stronghold, and there's a tree. It's a tree that's a Thor tree. And the legend in the town is if you touch the Thor tree, Thor, the god of thunder, will lightning strike you and kill you. Boniface comes into the town and he says, I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm not only going to preach the gospel, but tomorrow I'm going to show up and I'm going to chop down the tree. And so he comes into the town with his axe and he takes one swing at the tree and he puts one chop into the tree and a mighty wind comes from heaven and blows the tree to the ground, and the whole village gets saved. And Christianity starts to spread throughout all of the Germanic peoples. One group of people's strategy was just to hide out and wait for the end to come. Another strategy was to violently march into the enemy's camp with the kingdom and message of the cross and take over. One's apostolic one is not so much apostolic. <laughs> is that cool or what? Yeah. yeah, it is. I was talking to a guy um, this week, a friend of mine in Florida, and he said, David, I am terrified that the world is about to end. We're looking at Gaza, Israel, Egypt, Syria, Iran, Russia, China versus the West, potential nuclear war, World War III's. I'm getting texts from government officials. I don't really trust government officials, just FYI, but I'm getting texts. <laughs> These text threads from government officials inside cabinet meetings saying things like, if you live in a city, you should escape. Don't be there for the next five days. Beginning of the week, I was getting these texts because World War III is imminent. And, you know, listen, if you're in charge of the army, you're looking, you're, it's a good thing for you if World War III starts. Like, that's incentivized, right? You're, you're, that's something you want to happen. And it's just the reality of incentivized structures. Incentivized structures like to grow. They like to be engaged. And they like to 
they like to over um, exploit uh, situations that are scary. That's what happened in 9-11. We created a Department of Homeland Security and now old ladies get body checked at the TSA multiple times a day, every day for the rest of our life. I think it's horrific, di diabolical tyranny, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, but that's what happens during crisis. Um, people in power that are corrupt grab more power and they never give it back, ever. That wasn't this morning. Just now, just for this community here. Somebody needed it in their heart. <laughs> that was you, sincere. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the, the, the Benedict option is the option of my, that my friend is terrified that the world is going to end at any moment. Jesus is coming back, hole up in the cave, uh, and that is not a strategic apostolic position. That is not an extension of the kingdom of heaven. That is not Jesus' command to the church to do business, to occupy until he comes. Uh, the, the Boniface option is the option where we are on the offense, that we say, God, no, this is going to be a righteous city. I don't care what's going on. This is going to be a city that loves Jesus. This is going to be a city where churches grow. This is going to be a city, a city where churches proliferate. This is going to be a city that outlaws transgender child mutilation surgery. This is going to be a city that, like, this is, that's the option of the, of the, of the apostle that goes in and says, by the power of the Holy Spirit, this place is going to look more like the kingdom of heaven when I leave than it did when I got here. And that's Luke 19, 12. Jesus said, uh, tells the story, a nobleman went to a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And so he's going to return. That's what he's saying. But until he does, he says this, and he called his servants and delivered them 10 pounds and said to them, occupy until I come. In this context, we're talking about the increase of the portfolio of the master. That his portfolio is increasing. That properties are being purchased. That things are becoming part of his property. That the kingdom of God is taking land. That of his peace and his governance, there will be no end. Until 1947, and then there will be an end to the increase of his government because Israel is going to get a nation state, and then it's all coming down. I mean, nuclear warfare, child mark of the beast. Blah. And here's the other thing if you're terrified, that's a sure sign that it's not the Holy Spirit of God. You want to have, have a general radar of whether something's God or not? Are you terrified? It's probably not the Lord. Amen? Okay, so finally on this apostle point, does the church still need apostles? And the answer to that is unequivocally yes. The, the church needs all five office gifts that were established by Jesus. Let's read it. Ephesians 4.11, it was Jesus who gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets and some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers why? Why would Jesus do that? Why would he give some of these people this diversity of office gifts, leadership gifts? This is the reason. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry and to build up the body of Christ. Not for these guys to do the work of the ministry, so that the saints would be equipped that they would do the work of the ministry. They would see themselves as kings and priests unto God and our Father. Amen? Whew. It's pretty good. That was better than you amen I must say so. <laughs> amen? There we go. Thank you. Okay, so, and then this is the next phrase that Paul says. I, I'm Paul, an apostle, and it's not from men, nor is it through men. 
Now, why is this an important phrase? And again, just the, 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 the initial phrasing of this chapter, uh, of this verse, is important because he's setting up his argument. He's going to begin um, this monologue that in part is saying, here's the straw man of the Judaizers argument, and here's my argument. Now, the Judaizers, they come to you and they say, we're backed by all the traditions and the law of Moses, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. It's forceful. There's whole groups of us, you know, there's more than a million of us that believe in this system, this Judaic system. And Paul is saying, I'm coming as an apostle, apostle not by man or through man. The Judaizers are claiming they're coming by man and through man. They're supported and substantiated by large groups of people. I'm substantiated by no one but the Spirit of God. It's powerful. It's powerful. God um, does the calling. <laughs> God calls people. He, and, and also not, he, not, he, he calls them to salvation, but he also calls them into ministry. We have a lot of people in the modern church of America that are in positions of leader, just leadership because they feel like it. I remember I had a conversation with a pastor one time, and I said, how did you, you get saved? How did you get called by God? Tell me the story. And he said to me, well, I was at this church one time, and I, I, I was not saved, and I pulled into the parking lot, and the people were super friendly, and I said to myself, I, I want to be here forever. This is, these people are so nice. And I just think, thought to myself, well, that's just, like, you can just trade that for being a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness or in anything else. Tell me when Jesus became alive in you. Not when people were nice to you. When your spirit woke up and you could sing that song, my heart burns for you. And that kind of calling of God. And then, and then secondarily, the call into ministry. Paul is called an apostle by, by God and not by man. And that's a gift that's not to be taken lightly. And that's why he's starting with this phrasing, Paul an apostle. He's saying, I'm not just like a guy. I'm not just like I showed up and I'm a guy and my ideas are equivalent to your ideas. No, 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 no. I'm called by God and he's going to continue. The gospel entrusted to me was through Jesus himself. God calls leadership, righteous leadership, filled by the Spirit of God in the church. And it's a call of God and it's a holy thing. Uh, I love America because we're all rebels and I hate America because we're all rebels. You know what I mean? Like, I love our independence. I love our desire to know. I love all that kind of stuff. But I also hate our independence and our desire to be right and know everything. Because there's, there's points where Paul can just say, yo, God set me up on the apostle. Listen up, man. Just listen. I was in Bible school, first year, 1999, fall of 1999. And um, I was sitting on the front row, standing in the front row. In a Bible school, the Bible school I was in, every morning we would spend one hour in worship and prayer, you know, five days a week, Monday through Friday, and it was boombox worship. Anybody been a part of boombox worship before? You're lucky. <laughs> boombox worship is when they put a boombox right kind of here, and then you and your cronies in Bible school are standing in front, and you're worshiping the Lord. You're not worshiping the boombox, <laughs> you're worshiping the Lord. And uh, I remember this lady, I was an angry, bitter uh, probably not saved kid at the time. And this, one of the leaders came up to me and she just said, I feel like the Lord wants you just to dance. It was a happy song, a dancey song. Dance before him, dance before the Lord. And I said, I don't feel like the Lord's saying that to me. 
Funny. Funny you think that. I don't think that. <laughs> uh, and then she said something aggressive in response. I don't remember what. But I do remember thinking, it, what, if, what if she is right? What if she's actually hearing from the Lord and I'm just being a jerk? Because I knew, I, I at least knew I was being a jerk. And so I just started like this really kind of sad hop. It's like when you ask a little kid to dance and they're sad. They're sad hopping. I sad hopped for about 30 seconds and then I actually began to feel a change. And like the Holy Spirit started doing this incredible work in me, softening my heart. And I went to a, from a sad hop to a happy hop. And it was great. And sometimes, uh, I, know, I know you're very smart. You live in New York City. I know how smart you are. Sometimes it's important just to listen to the leadership God put in your life. And trust him with it. Amen? First Thessalonians 5, 12 through 13 says this, But we ask you, brothers, to acknowledge those who diligently work among you, who preside over you in the Lord, and give you instruction. In love, hold these people in highest regard because of their work. And obviously this is an encouragement. It's funny because it's Paul. It seems kind of self-serving. Because he's like, I'm, you know, I'm the one telling you what to do. Also listen to me. And this is inspired by the Holy Spirit, I promise. <laughs> but it is. It's good for us to do that. And so this is something I believe really strongly um, to honor your leaders in the faith. And I, I really do my best to honor my leaders in the faith, my pastors that I uh, am submitted to. And, and just as a point, I know a number of us have come from other churches, not all of us some... Some of you guys have gotten saved here at King's, but some of you have come from other churches. Can I just encourage you, don't ever, ever, ever mock a pastor whom you were at their church formerly. I mean, I don't care if you were at, you know, the evilest church in New York City. Please don't mock them. This phrase, hold them in highest regard, is like the Old Testament um, commandment to honor father and mother. And that word in the Old Testament, honor, means you, you hold them in a weighty regard. When mother and father speak, you don't, it's not like flippantly, like it's, they are weighty. They are valuable. I was, uh, I picked up a, a watch at the airport. So my watch broke. And as soon as I picked it up, it was really, it just felt light and cheap. I, I got the vibe that it was made by Chinese slave children is what I'm telling you, you know? Like I just, as soon as I picked it up, I'm like, this is something... When you pick something up of value, generally there's weight to it, right? There's generally weight to it. And, and the injunction by God is treat them in a weighty manner. And in the past, even at our church, some of you who have come from Hillsong have mocked Hillsong, and I've kind of allowed that. Never do that again, ever again. Do not mock any other church in this town. We can have theological differences of opinion, but we will hold other pastors in high regard because of their work. Amen? Thank you. Okay, so Paul, he's opening this book with Paul, an apostle of God, and he's going to tell the story. And he's, he actually basically is setting up a debt of honor owed to from the people of God to himself as an apostle. And he's saying, what I'm about to tell you, this argumentation that's happening in Galatia, trust me with it. I'm a man of God. I'm called of God. 
And then uh, he says this in the next phrase, verse 2. And, and all of the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. How many of you have brothers here in this? Um, how many of you have been punched in the face by one of your brothers? Almost, almost equivalent hands. Actually, more hands went up. I don't know how that happened. But the second question. <laughs> we, I had three brothers growing up and a, and a younger sister. Sharon is, I think, eight years younger than me. And when she was six, seven, eight, we used to tell her that there was another brother that we had, James, that we pushed off a cliff and killed because he didn't do what we told him to. It was a dark house. <laughs> Don't do that, please. Um, my boys have, they go to the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu school. Sally, you here? You want to do another flex this morning or no? No? Okay. Only one flex every six months, okay? Uh, Sally was saying happy birthday to his instructor, and his instructor texted back, thanks, little brother. And Saul was so excited, he, sent, he had mom send me the text. Because there's something amazing when someone older and farther down the line than you calls you little brother. There's something beautiful and endearing, and it's saying to you, you're going to be just like me one day. You're going to grow up and be big and strong and beautiful, and I'm proud of you. And that's what it is to rightly... Not wrongly, like we did to the fictional carrier, carrier, brother James, but rightly in love and care for and honor a brother, a younger brother, a sibling, a sister, someone in faith that you in, you're endeared toward. There's familial connection. You're actually of the same lineal stock. You come from the same origin source. You have similarities of personality, and that's what it's supposed to be like in Christ. We go to another church and you're like, that's my cousin, you know? I'm glad I don't live here, but that's my cousin. I love you. <laughs> Who is your brother? Matthew 23, 8, Jesus says, I don't want you disciples to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, that's God, and you are all brothers. Luke 8, 21, Jesus says, my, mother's, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. So who are your mother, who's your mother, who's your mother uh, and your brothers? Those who do hear the word of God and do it. Mary is not your mother. There are mothers in the house that are your mother. Those who hear the word of God and do it. Who are your brothers? Those who hear the word of God and do it. Amen? All true believers in Christ are brothers who believe and obey. Is the nation state of Israel, are they your brothers? Are the Jewish people that don't believe in Christ, wear the prayer shawls, are they your brothers? We seem to be confused um, about who the nation state of Israel is because we are in the midst of a war. And uh, not we, but they are in the midst of a, a war of some sort. And um, in the midst of this, I've been hearing relatively famous pastors saying of Israel that they are the people of God, that they are somehow in some equivalence to believers that the Holy Land, um, there's an obligation of the church to fight for the Holy Land. And I'd like to clear up some things. And you'll notice as I read through some of these portions of Scripture, this is not my idea. It's not some uh, theology that I've concocted. This is very basic, fundamental Scripture. 
The people of God, to be the chosen people of God, is about the greatest thing that there ever could be on the face of the earth. One of the most beautiful things about the nation of Israel uh, pre-Christ is that they were a nation that didn't deserve God. And he chose them and picked them out through Abraham that they would be his people, just like he did to you and me in Christ Jesus. Let's take a look at Revelation 2.8. It says this, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. So this is Jesus, and he's establishing his divinity and resurrection who was crucified and came back to life. Verse 9, I know your tribulation and your poverty, he says to the church of Smyrna. But you are rich. You don't, you don't realize it, but you are. You're rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews, but they are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Uh, the slander of those who say that they are Jews and they are not. Every theological discussion on this that I've read, which are many commentaries all say the same thing. The true people of God are those who have been grafted in by Christ or that remnant of the Jews that believed in Christ and accepted him as Lord. The other Jews were not. But look at this very interesting phrase, who say they are Jews and are not. Who are the people that said they're the people of God and are not? The Jews of that time. That's what they were saying. We're the people of God. And as a matter of fact, you're saying this guy Christ is God, we're going to kill you all. In Acts, Stephen is slaughtered by the Jews, and then they go on until about 64 AD, the Jews are killing Christians for the next 31 years until Rome starts to be involved, and then they both are. And it gets so bad, you know, Emperor Nero is lighting, he's painting Christians with tar and lighting them as lanterns at his parties. It's brutal and horrific. They say they are Jews and are not, but they are a synagogue of Satan. I don't understand how leaders and pastors can say with a straight face that the Jews are the people of God when Jesus himself said that they are not. Not the Jews that believe in Jesus. Of course they're the people of God. Of course they are. But those that reject the Son of God are not the people of God. It's very simple. We have an exclusive religion. It's not inclusive. You have to believe in Jesus. You can't reject him. Romans 11. I want to show you this in the book of Romans. Because Paul, remember we did a year in Romans, and Paul's, he's trying to, he's trying to fix this community that is bifurcated. One, there are these Jewish believers and these other Gentile believers. He's trying to help them live together and work together and function together. This is what he says in that context. I asked, did God reject Israel in order that they might, it says it this way, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By Paul means ultimate never again redemption. But no, by no means. Rather, through their sin, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Here's my eschatology. Now, this is David Englehart. This is like, you know, in law, they have, judges have dicta. It's kind of their own opinion, and it's not case law. So this is not the case law. I'm stepping aside. I'm putting on my, my non-case law hat. 
I, my opinion is that as the Gentiles are saved in their fullness, they will make Israel jealous and Israel will turn to God. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. Israel was the first to turn to God, and then they will be the last to respond ultimately after the gospel spreads around the world and people turn their hearts to Jesus. That's my dicta position. He continues and he says this, For if their rejection, Israel rejection, means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life for the dead? When the Jews accept Jesus, it's going to be fireworks and amazing. But while they're not, and while they're persecuting Christians, Jesus calls them the synagogue of Satan. Continues. Verse 17, but if some of the branches were broken off, the unbelieving Jews, broken off branches. I don't know if uh, anybody saw this. Probably not. I sometimes get into Instagram fights because I'm immature and I'm growing in my faith. But I, a, a famous dispensationalist was saying something that the Jews are the people of God. And I said, yes, the ones who accept Jesus as their Lord. Yeah, amazing, phenomenal. But the unbelieving Jews have been broken off. And then an account with over a million followers commented on my comment and said, this is terrible theology. You should read the Bible. And so then I just posted this exact scripture here and he didn't respond. It says, <laughs> it says, but if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, you now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. That's how we came in. That's how we were brought in. And how, are, how did we come into the tree of life? Through the piercing of Jesus Christ. There was the grafting. We were grafted into this tree of faith and of life. And it's, uh, Paul goes on. He says, don't be arrogant, though. Do not treat them poorly, uh, because this is why. It's, it's, not the, it's, it's not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. He's saying this system that was entrusted to the Jewish people that they carried faithfully for millennia, it's now been entrusted to you. Do not treat them poorly. And this is a very interesting nuance because actually you can get into weirdo political QAnon nationalist zone and there becomes Israel hatred. And you can get the smell of actually Nazi evil, literally hatred of the Jewish people. And that is demonic. There's a, there's a demonic spirit that fuels that hatred. Then you will say the branches were broken off. Um, that is true. They were broken off. Verse 20, because of their unbelief. They were broken off from the tree of faith because of their unbelief. But you stand fast, fast, stand fast through faith. Do not become proud, but fear. For God, if he didn't spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you who were grafted in. My favorite, my favorite verse in the Bible as of today. Note then the kindness and severity of God. That is exactly right. The kindness of God and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but his kindness towards you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, who? Israel that had been broken off. Even they will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. Amen? Once they accept Christ. Again, I, I mentioned earlier that this is nuanced, and it's not like... Sunday morning, you know, help your marriage get better, leave with encouragement. I, my, what I intend to do here is dispel myth. 
because myth makes us scared and makes us um, wrongly mystical, and then it creates this tier system in the kingdom of God. Paul is literally going to say, there is therefore now no Jew nor Gentile, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Galatians 6.15. So guess who's the Israel now? Guess who is Israel? Yes. 6.15, neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, the gospel, the new way, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. You are the Israel of God. Not a boundary 12,000 miles away from here. I know it's probably 20,000 miles away. That is not the Israel of God. You are the Israel of God. But that being said, um, I believe that we have a debt of gratitude to the people of Israel. Uh, and here's the scriptures. 2 Samuel 9, verse 1. David asked, is there anyone left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, you remember King David? He, God told him he was going to be king. He anointed him. And David shows up. He kills a giant. He wins some wars. And then Saul is like, yeah, I don't like this guy. I'm going to murder him. And then Saul spends the next 15 to 20 years trying to kill David. It's very frustrating if you're David. And um, Saul dies, as you remember. And David becomes king of Judah and then king of Israel. And this is later. This, that all happens in 1 Samuel. 2 Samuel, David is entering the fullness of his kingdom. And this is nine chapters in. David asks this question. Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Wait a second. David, you mean the guy, the family of the guy that was trying to kill you for 20 years? You mean, the, you mean murderously trying to destroy you and your line? Kill the plan of God? You're going to show kindness to that guy? Are you out of your mind? And David is on the throne, and he says, I will show kindness to the house of Saul for Jonathan's sake. And I think the picture here, um, Mephibosheth, if you don't know, he was a part of the house of Saul. He was one of Jonathan's son. And when David took the throne, his nurse was running out of the, of the palace with Mephibosheth, and she dropped him, and he fell on the steps, and he broke his back, and his legs, no, he was affirmed for the rest of his life. He was quadruple, well, paraplegic, could never walk again. And David calls him to his house, and when David calls him to his house, he thinks he's going to slaughter him, like finally Saul's done for. But David says, you will be my guest, you will eat at my table, I will care for you and protect you. Uh, and without getting too incredibly political yet, I believe that Christians have a debt of gratitude towards the people of Israel. They are not currently the house of God. You are the new Israel. You are the house of God. But that does not mean that we don't have a debt of gratitude to the people who carried the covenants of God for millennia. And that way we can honor and respect and love, pray for salvation, all of those things, and also understand the theological nuance that's at play and not say this is God's holy land, this is God's holy people. No, 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 no. 
The people that are washed by the blood of Jesus are God's holy people. You are God's holy people. You are washed by the blood of the land. You are a part of the kingdom of God. You are the new Israel. The favor of God is on your life. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, but again, uh, from a geopolitical standpoint, we are Christians, and so we know that people of Israel need to come to Christ, and that people of Palestine, they need to come to Christ as well. But also, we recognize that justice is important in the world. And we don't just say, oh, Jesus said, forgive your enemies, so therefore, we're all laying down our arms. No. <laughs> It's, it's such a trick. It's such a trick question because you actually have people gunning for the destruction of Israel, total annihilation of Israel that are saying, hey, you should just forgive them and let him go. Jesus would have said that. Actually, Jesus said, because he's God in the book of Romans, the government is given the sword as an agent of wrath from God so that justice is established in the nations. Romans 13, verse 4. For government is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. If you attack innocent civilians, be afraid. If you behead babies as Hamas did, be afraid. Because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For government is God's servant, an avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. That is the role of the government ordained and established by God in the new covenant. Everybody say new covenant. Amen. Established by God. Yes, you forgive the Palestinians. I forgive the Palestinians. And I also say, God, press the button because that's unjust and drop the sword of wrath. Both at the same time. It's called being mature and not being a child. That's what it's called. I can carry both of these things. Forgiveness, desiring the salvation of both people groups, and justice. Hamas is a terrorist organization. Inside their charter, they say we're organized for the destruction of the people of Israel. It doesn't say in the Israeli constitution our purpose is to wipe out Palestine. It doesn't say that. And so there's an ability for the believer to have an appropriate understanding of our role, of the geopolitical situation, and say we can advocate for justice on a global level and peace. Because guess what? If Hamas rules, they kill everyone. They behead all of the Christians and all of the Jews and everyone who's an infidel, which is not a believer in Muhammad. It is a violent religion. Do you know this? In Genesis chapter 6, verse 11, it says the world was filled with violence. That word violence is the Hebrew word Hamas. And there's a demonic spirit of violence that fuels that people group. And you can just watch what they say and you can feel the violence and the rage in that. And God looked at the world and he saw that it was filled with violence, that spirit of Hamas. And he ended the world. So guess what? It's not all equal out there. It's not all blue team versus red team. That's not what it is. Now, I will say, on the other hand, if the progressive liberals were in charge, they would kill us as well. I don't know if you know that. They would happily do so. 
Um, but they're not in charge, and we're fighting for America to be a free and moral land. Amen? So, Romans 13, 4, God's government is God's servant and avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Paul ends this verse in Galatians. Worship team, you can come up with this phrase, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Grace and peace to you, new Israel. Grace and peace. Not terror, not fear that the world's going to end because Damascus is going to be wiped out in this world and all of a sudden, you know, you're going to get raptured and then nukes are going to start going off. No, 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 no. Grace and peace to you. Walking in the grace of a good God who cares for you, who loves you in his peace, in his presence, in his kindness, who came to deliver you from a present evil age. Guess what? 2,000 years ago, there was a present evil age. (laughs) And we still have a present evil age. And God has called you to walk in his kingdom, in his way, in his mind, to have this mind in you, the mind of Christ, to walk in the peace of God, his kindness, his goodness, to not walk in uh, uh, the cacophony of this evil age, but to walk in the peace of heaven. Amen, church? Stand up with me. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Galatians, God, the, the foundation of the gospel in our life, the work of the cross, the identity of the saints. Stamp it on each and every person here today in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening to today's podcast. Acts 20.27 says, For I have not hesitated to proclaim the whole counsel of God. And that's something that we're trying to do at King's Church. We're trying to steward God's word and share it to a generation. If you want to partner in us sharing the whole counsel of God's truth, please text KCNYC to 77977 and partner with us here at King's Church to get God's message, his whole counsel, all over the place on podcasts and on radio and around the world so believers like you would be encouraged. Thanks.